Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And dear friends in Christ Jesus, I am glad that through the fog this morning you have found your way to God's house, and I hope that all of us are glad that we are worshiping at this hour. You heard me mention that today in the Christian church is known as Quinquagesima Sunday. That rather jaw-breaking word simply is a Latin word that means the numeral 50. It indicates that now we are about 50 days away from Easter. It is the last of three Sundays before the beginning of the Lenten season. And as we know, Lent begins on Ash Wednesday of this week. And this text that I just read is very appropriate for this Sunday, the Sunday before the Lenten season. It occurred over in Perea on the eastern side of the Jordan, evidently on one of the roads in Perea in the last several months of Jesus' ministry. We are told as we patch the story together that Salome, who was the mother, she brought her two sons, James and John, sons of Zebedee, to Jesus, and they bowed down in front of him, and the three said to him, Teacher, will you do for us whatever we're going to ask you? And Jesus said to the three, What is it that you want me to do for you? And then it was that Salome, the mother of James and John, said, uh, Will you promise me this, Jesus, that in your kingdom that one of my sons will sit on your right hand and that the other will sit on your left? In other words, she's saying, Will you promise me that my two boys will occupy the great positions of authority in your kingdom, that they will be great, one on your right, and one on your left, will you do that for us? And Jesus said, oh, you don't realize, Salome and James and John, what you're asking. And he said, do you think that you can drink the cup that I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And they didn't understand. They said yes. And Jesus says, well, you will have a cup and you will have a baptism. And then he said, but as regards who's going to sit on my right hand and who's going to sit on my left, he said, that is not mine to give, but my Father in heaven, he is going to give it to those for whom he has prepared it. Well, you can imagine when the ten heard about this, how they felt. They thought, here's James and John trying to hog the show in his kingdom, trying to get the places of greatness and the places of authority, and they're going to lord it over us, the one on his right and the other on the left. And they were pretty steamed up about it, and Jesus realized it, and he called the twelve, and he said, now listen, man, you know how it is in the world. He said, that's true. In the world, who is the great man? Jesus said, in the world, the great man is the fellow that lords it over the other person. He runs slipshod over the other person. He is the one that simply plays the role of the tyrant and makes everybody his slaves. But Jesus says, oh, that's not the way it should be in my kingdom. He said, now if you want to be great, he said, you become the servant. And if you want to be greatest and the chiefest of all, become the servant of all. And then came these words from his lips. He said, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He said, men, don't you realize that even I came into the world not to be ministered unto? I didn't come to lord it over people. I didn't come to run roughshod over people and make individuals my slaves. I didn't come to play the role of a tyrant and to subjugate people. I came not to be ministered unto, but I came to minister. I came to serve. I came to be your servant. And in those words of Jesus, when you and I today look at him, and we stand and we look at him on this lonely road in Korea, and we say, who is he? 
And may you and I know this. As we look at him, he is the greatest person that ever stepped foot on this planet, barring none. He is the grandest, the most important person that ever came into this world. He is the most precious person that ever came to earth for this reason, that he didn't come to be ministered unto. He didn't come to run roughshod over you and me. He came to serve you and me. He came to be our minister. He came to be our servant. And you and I may stop and question it. We may say to ourselves, that just can't be that he is the greatest person that ever stepped foot on this planet called Earth, the most important and the grandest, and again, the fairest and the most precious, because he didn't come to lord it over us. He came to be a servant to be a minister, to serve. And we may say, oh, that's the last reason that I would ever say is, would, would be something that would make him great and make him wonderful and make him attractive. We may say, he came to be a, a servant? You mean to say he's the greatest individual that ever came to this world because he didn't come to run roughshod, but he came to be our servant, to minister to us, that as a servant, he is the grandest and the greatest we may say, that, that can't be, that's the last reason. We may say, oh, that just can't be, but that's what he said that day. As you and I look at him this morning, let's know this, he is the greatest person that ever touched foot on this planet called Earth, the grandest. He is, again, the most attractive, the most important person because he, again, said, I didn't come to lord it over you. I came to serve you, and in serving you, I came to give my life a ransom for you. And what we want to do this morning, we want to look at this statement of Jesus and say, can you and I believe that he is the greatest, the grandest person that ever came into this world, barring none, in a class by himself, second to none, that he is topped because he didn't come to lord it over you and me, to run roughshod over you and me, but he came to be a minister, and in coming to be our servant, that he laid down his life as a ransom for us, does that fact that he came as a servant and gave his life as a ransom, does that assure you and me and does that make him the grandest and the greatest and the most important person that ever came into this world? It really does because let's know this in the first place, that in coming into this world to serve, to be our servant and thus to give his life a ransom, he established on this earth the grandest kingdom that this world has ever seen. He couldn't have done it had he come roughshod, lording it over you and me. In order to establish the kind of a kingdom he wanted to establish, there had to be a ransom price paid, and it had to be his life given in death. Oh, what a kingdom. You see, a Salome and James and John didn't understand. They meant well. They had the thought that it was going to be an earthly political kingdom of power. And therefore, Salome wanted one son in the place of authority on the right and the other in the place of authority on the left. They didn't understand. But you see, that wasn't the kind of a kingdom that he came to establish. He came to establish something greater than that. And in the creed, when we confessed our faith this morning, we said we believe in the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints. We said that we believe that in this world there is this kingdom, and it's the grandest kingdom. It was a kingdom that was possible only by the Son of God coming into this world as a servant and giving his life as a ransom price. It is a magnificent kingdom because Jesus said the kingdom of God is within us. 
that there are those who have this kingdom within them and we are also in that kingdom through faith in him and that is the kingdom that gives eternal life. It is a kingdom of the ransomed. It is a kingdom of the saved. It is a kingdom that is made up as God looks down on this earth, made up of all true believers in Christ who have been given eternal life, who are in a kingdom that will never end, that will go on and on and on, and that those who are in the kingdom will have their bodies raised up at the last day, their bodies will be glorified, united with their souls, and live in that kingdom forever and ever. He is the greatest person that ever stepped foot on this planet, and the secret of it is this, that he didn't come to run roughshod over you and me, he came to be our servant, and in being our servant to give his life in death as a ransom. And in establishing this kingdom, and it goes on, and he said the gates of hell shall never prevail against it, and it's growing every day, and men are coming into this kingdom of the ransom, the kingdom of life. He stands, as you and I see him today, as we approach the Lenten scene, standing on that lonely road in Korea, the grandest, the greatest person that ever came into this world because he's the only person that ever brought real hope to this world. You name another person that ever brought any hope to this world. And I'm sure that the days come in your life and mine as again we stand and we look at this world and we say, what are we coming to? What are we coming to with wars in the Middle East ready to blow up and dissension in our own country? And we say, where are we going? There is one hope. A man stood on a lonely road in Korea. And he said again, if you want to be the greatest, and he was, he came into this world not to run roughshod over you and me, but he came to serve. He is the one who has brought hope. Why? Regardless of what comes, regardless of nations that shall rise and fall, here is one who came and said, I have hope. I have established by, again, giving my life as a ransom. I have established on this earth a kingdom of the redeemed a kingdom of the saints who shall have eternal life. He's the only one that ever came into this world that ever brought hope. And today as we stand on the threshold of Lent, it's very good that you and I would look at him and say he is. Maybe he doesn't look it. He is the grandest and the greatest and the most important, the most precious person that ever stepped foot on this planet and all because he didn't come to be ministered unto, to lord it over you and me and to make us his subjects and slaves. He didn't come to play the role of a tyrant. He said, I came in order to minister to you. I came to serve. I came to be your slave and in so doing to lay down my life as a ransom. And when we can believe that, then we ought to determine today that we aren't going to be too upset by those who turn and take their pot shots at him and deny his greatness and laugh at him and ridicule him and blaspheme him. The greatest person that ever stepped foot on the earth because he came as a servant. Where are the Caesars? Do you hear much about them today? Those that came in greatness to subjugate individuals. Where are the Neros? Where are the Tituses and the Vespasians? Where are the Napoleons? Where are the Hitlers? Where are, again, the Lenins and the Stalins and the Mussolinis? Where are the men who came in for greatness by running rush out over humanity? 
But there stands one who stood on a lonely road in Korea one day, the greatest of all. And there are those who are standing today and taking their pot shots at him, laughing at him as a great individual, blaspheming him because he came to serve, that he gave his life as a ransom for the world. Oh, there was Voltaire who wasn't there. And Voltaire, you know, a man that says we've got to get away from Christ and go back to nature. And the man that said within a hundred years after my time the name of Jesus will be forgotten in the world. And yet a Jesus goes on. And what about Voltaire? Oh, there was Bob Ingersoll, you know, that used to go up and down our country and stand on the platform. And he used to take a pot shot at Christ. If there is a Christ and he's the son of God, if there is a God, let him strike me dead on the spot. And that was his speech every night on the Lyceum platform. And because God didn't strike him dead on the spot, he says, see there, there isn't any God. And there is Madeline O'Hare, Madeline Murray O'Hare, who told our Cap University students just about a week ago that there is no historic evidence that Jesus Christ ever lived. I wonder if no one ever told her that Jimmy and Johnny Zebedee talked to him one day. Well, of course, if they didn't, if this is spurious, then everything is spurious when we have men who talk to George Washington, if you've never seen him then even the pictures of George Washington would be spurious if the only proof that he lived is that I saw him face to face. Well, then George Washington never lived. The pictures are spurious and what he said are spurious if Jesus of Nazareth didn't live because James and John Zebedee, well, they talked to him one day. And you and I may say, how does it come that God lets individuals blaspheme his son? How does it come that they can say all manner of repute about him and again disrepute and blasphemous? How come that they can do it and how come he doesn't strike them dead? Because Jesus who came, he again is the greatest who ever stepped foot. You see, he says, I didn't come to run roughshod over you, to lord it over you and to strike it dead. He is saying to a Madeline O'Hare today, Madeline, I came into the world to be a minister to lay down my life as a ransom price. I wouldn't shorten your day of grace. Wouldn't it be something if someone like a Madeline O'Hare would have the Holy Spirit come and reverse things in her life as the Holy Spirit did in the life of Paul when I stood on the Damascus. But don't forget, Paul was just as blasphemous as Jesus Christ as a Bob Ingersoll or as a Madeline Murray O'Hare. He blasphemed his name, but on the Damascus way, this Christ said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Oh, this Christ is so tremendous, he doesn't strike people dead when they blaspheme him, because, you see, he's the greatest person that ever came into this world, and all because he didn't come to play the role of a tyrant. He came to be a minister, to serve, to be our servant give his life as a ransom for many. That's what makes him great. Because in the second place, let's know this, that in coming into this world, in order to be a minister to you and me, in order to serve and to be our servant, and to give his life as a ransom for many, he paid the price for our guilt and for our punishment. 
in all of its completeness. Oh, uh, Salome and James and John didn't understand when they, she said, will you let my one son rule with authority? See, she didn't know what kind of a kingdom it was going to be, sort of a political thing. One on the right hand, and one on the left, Jesus said, oh, can you boys, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink, and can you be baptized with the baptism that's going to come to me? And what was he talking about? The bitter cup that again he wrestled with in Gethsemane, the cup of death, and again the baptism of blood he was talking about an atonement that was going to be made, a ransom price that he was going to give to his heavenly father for the guilt and punishment of sin, and it meant to drink that cup to the bitter dregs. It meant a baptism of blood. It meant this, that the ransom price was that he on himself would have to bear the equal of the punishment of you and me in hell. That's what the price of the ransoming was. And to give the price to his heavenly father to satisfy the justice of God forever. When he came to serve, that's what he did as the ransom price. He drank the cup to the bitter dregs. And there was that baptism of blood. And on the cross for you and for me, for this servant, he bore what you and I would bear if soul and body spent eternity in hell separated from the mercy and love of God. That was the ransom price, and he paid it. And therefore, he is the greatest person, the most important, the most tremendous, the most precious person that ever came into the world because he didn't come to lord it over us. He came to serve us and to give his life as a ransom, and therefore, he's the only one that has ever come into the world who has the joy of the forgiveness of sins to offer you and me and the joy of deliverance from eternal death and hell to offer me. You name somebody else that has it. He stands before the world and said, because I gave my life as a ransom price for you, here is forgiveness. I promise to obliterate all the guilt and the punishment of your sins if you come to me. I promise to absolutely remove it from my mind forever and to free you from eternal punishment. No one else has ever come into this world or ever touched foot on this planet earth that has ever brought that kind of a promise that in him there is freedom in this kingdom of the ransomed that you and I in that kingdom need have no fear of eternal death and eternal damnation. That's why it ought to mean this morning that we believe again of all the individuals that ever have come into this world who have touched their foot on this planet earth that again he is the greatest and the most marvelous and the mightiest, and all because of this fact that he didn't come to run roughshod over you and me and subjugate us, but he came to minister, to be a servant, to again, to be a slave for you and me and to give his life a ransom for many. Then we ought to determine this. Do we know him as this great individual, or are we just using him as a stepping stone for power and for authority. I wonder sometimes as I look at the visible church today, I wonder how many in the church have come into the visible church because they have reckoned with Jesus Christ as the one who came to serve and gave his life as a ransom for them. Have you and I taken the besetting sins of our life and have we put them at his feet and have we repented? And have we put our faith and our trust in him? Or when we joined the visible church, was it simply as a status symbol? Did we look around first and find out which church had the standing in the community? Which one was going to give us more power 
Which one was going to give us light in the sun? And I wonder sometimes even in the church, how many are in the church because they have embraced Jesus Christ? Rather sad, those that are carrying the word of God apart today, telling us that it doesn't say what it says. That Jesus was not born of the virgin. I wonder if that brings anybody to Jesus Christ. That he was not divine. That he didn't perform his miracles. Uh, this is the way they wrote in those days. That the word of God is not inspired of the Holy Spirit even though it says so. I wonder what some men are in the church for. I wonder if they've ever asked themselves the question, am I drawing men to Jesus Christ or am I driving them away? When you tell a young person you've been too close to your mother's apron strings, you've been too close to home, you're too narrow-minded. I wonder whether some men in the visible church are out after their own glory or whether they're out after his. I wonder. Today, again, the world is standing the world is saying, what about Jesus Christ? If in our seminaries we can no longer believe that he was God's son and the servant that came as a ransom for all, then for God's sake, let's get out. And I want you to know if the time ever comes in my life and I can no longer believe in the deity of Jesus Christ and in his virgin birth, I'll be the first one to get out because I've got nothing left to talk about. When you and I again can say to us, have I reckoned with him? Then there comes the personal experience of knowing that he was the greatest, the grandest, the most glorious person that ever came into this world because there will be peace within your heart and mind we will say, thank God that he came not to run roughshod over us, not again to lord it over us and to play the role of a tyrant, but he came to be a servant. He came to give his life as a ransom price. We're on the threshold of Lent. It's nice just to stop and look at him over on the Priam Road, east of the Jordan, the lonely road, and there he stood. And again, he said, because, listen, man, he says, the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but I came to minister to be your servant. You want to be great? The way to be great, he was telling them, is this. Be sure you minister. He is the greatest. He is the greatest individual that has ever left his footprint on this planet Earth because he didn't come to be a tyrant came to be a servant to lay down his life as a ransom. And in doing that, again, by laying down his life as a ransom, he paid the price in full, not only for you and me, but for all men. He says, and to give my life a ransom for many or for all, I won for all. What a tremendous sacrifice that was. He laid down his life as a ransom price that in him all men, without exception, whether our sins show or whether they don't, whether they stink or whether they don't stink, for everybody, regardless of our color, who we are or what we are. Because when he came into this world and he laid down his life as a ransom price, 
God assures us that this was a timeless sacrifice. He was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And that he is the one that came and he merited a righteousness for heaven for the entire human race. If there will have been 800 trillion or 1,000 trillion human beings on the face of the earth before he comes again, he who stood over there on Korea on a lonely road one day, he was the ransom price that paid the price in full. And he merited a robe of righteousness for you and for me and for every individual. And that's why he stands great, immense, magnificent. And all because he didn't come to lord it over you and me, to run roughshod over you and me like earthly kings, but he came to be a servant. He came to minister. And he's the only one that has merited a robe of righteousness that is offered to you and me and to any man right now. That in putting on that robe of righteousness, we come into that wonderful kingdom and we have the assurance of eternal life. No other man ever came into this world. No other person ever came into this world that ever offered something like that. That right now in your life and mine, regardless of who we are, what we are, when we reach out and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. We put on a robe of righteousness that covers up all of our sins and our shortcomings and all of the damnable things that you and I have done that deserve eternal death. And we come into a kingdom of eternal life. He is the greatest. And when on the threshold of Lent, you and I can look at him and we can say, he again, he was the greatest person that ever touched foot on this earth, on this planet. Barring none, the most important, the most precious individual, because of all things he came to serve. That's the thing that you and I, why, who could ever believe it? If he had come to Lord, it would say he was great. But greatness in serving, yeah, because it was only in serving that he was willing to offer his life as a ransom price. And therefore, we ought to say to ourselves in appreciation for his greatness in humble service. We ought to, in the kingdom of God, dedicate our lives to greatness, to excel, to be great in the kingdom of God, but how? Not by lording it over others, but like he did, by ministering, by being a servant. And then to realize this, there are some pleasant surprises that are going to come. You know, the world, of course, won't call us great. Of course not. Ministers aren't great in the kingdom of God. People look at us ministers sometimes and I've had them say to me, what do you do? Why don't you get out and get yourself a job? Why don't you get out and get to work? Madeline O'Hare reminded them down at Cap University that they were a whole bunch of hypocrites. You see, to serve, that's not greatness in the eyes of the world, is it? Doesn't bring much greatness. Doesn't sound great, does it, if you would serve him and I? You heard me announce the beginning of the adult lectures. That doesn't sound like the way to greatness. To ask somebody who doesn't know your Lord to come with you. That's so small and inconsequential. Yet do you know that the word of God says that those who turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever and ever? 
Could I say to you as to myself today that there isn't anything that you and I could do in serving our Lord as a minister that would be more appreciated in heaven than to guide some soul who doesn't know this great person Jesus Christ to bow the knee before him? Well, the world wouldn't care much about it. Jesus looked at James and John and said, You don't understand. They didn't. Just Salome, you don't understand the way in my kingdom. And when he said, Can you again, can you drink this cup and can you have this baptism? They said, Oh, we can. And Jesus said, You will. He was telling them, Oh, you're going to find out that as you serve me and understand this kingdom, there's going to be suffering. James was the first of the twelve to die for his faith. Of course, Judas took his own life. James was killed by the sword by Herod. And again, John suffered many things. He suffered again exile on Patmos. The cross was there. But bear in mind when Jesus was talking about the place on his right and on his left, he didn't say they didn't exist. He said, my father is going to give those places in my kingdom to those for whom he has prepared it. You and I realize there will be rank in heaven. There's going to be rank. There's going to be somebody on the right side of the throne and somebody on the left. I don't know who it's going to be, but they're going to be there and it'll be a tremendous surprise who again have served as a minister, who have become a servant. I wonder who it's going to be. Someone has said, oh, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a number of surprises. The first one, the big surprise is if we make it and say, oh, thank God I made it. And another surprise is going to be when we get into heaven, we're going to say, well, look who's here. I never thought they'd be here. And another surprise is going to be, why, where's so-and-so? I thought, sure, they'd be here, and they're not. And another surprise is going to be this. Who's going to be sitting on the right or on the left? Who, again, will have rank in the kingdom of God? It's going to be a tremendous surprise. All the world laughs. There isn't anything more important in your life and mine than again to know to be great in the kingdom of God. Just be a doormat. Be a servant. Be a minister. Wait on people. Be kind and loving and warm their hearts for Jesus Christ. Oh, it's going to be a tremendous surprise when that's the only greatness that heaven knows anything about. Not the Caesars, not the Napoleons, not the Hitlers, not the Stalins. Oh, I'm reminded of the missionary who had spent a life in dark Africa, was coming home on a boat. And on the same boat, Theodore Roosevelt, the President of the United States, was on it too, and the boat came into New York Harbor. And there on the dock was the band ready to strike up, hail to the chief, and when again the gangplank was lowered, and President Theodore Roosevelt walked off and the band played and everybody cheered. And here was a missionary that had spent his life in Africa. He looked around on the shore and he, the dock and he couldn't see a soul that he knew. And after the president was off, he walked down alone. Nobody there to meet him. And before he got down, he began to cry and he stood there alone. He said, nobody cares. And suddenly he said, why? I'm not home yet. I'm not home. The world doesn't care, but I'm not home. When you and I, you see, the world doesn't care. But, oh God, when we get home, 
there's a Christ who does care because that's why he's so great. We aren't home yet, but we're on the road, aren't we? We're on the way. We ought to sing it. Yes, we are climbing Jacob's ladder, aren't we? We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, soldiers of the cross. Every rung goes higher, higher. Every rung goes higher, higher. Every rung goes higher, higher, soldiers of the cross.